And we're we are recording. Anytime you want, you can start. Okay. I'm going to wait like 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Yeah. Good. Give it a good 10 minute gap. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin Hines, and I'm here with Will Hines. Because I'm the other co-host. That's why I'm here. Hey, yeah, and, and I'm this more than is, just a co-host. Uh, what else are you? I am also related to you. Oh, that's right. We are brothers. Yes. Uh, we live in different places. Yep. Um, but that doesn't stop us from being related to each other. <laughs> nope. No matter how geographically far apart we get, our blood remains the similar. Yeah, genetically similar. I thought, uh, and I this is a podcast joke on that, and I don't, I don't know where I thought I was going. <laughs> um, anyway, this is a podcast where we talk about the original Spider-Man comics by his original creators, Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. I like that you put Steve Ditko first. Is that deliberate? Yes, it is. Um, I think if I had to rank importance, he would be marginally more important. Uh, he's the artist, and and Stan is the writer. Although they both co, they both co-wrote. And, and they Stan would do the dialogue. And, yeah. And I think Stanley gets, even though I think people, we've talked about this in the past, that I think Stanley gets unnecessarily ba- overly bashed about this. He does get more credit. He has cameos in all the movies. Yeah. His name is often mentioned synonymously with uh, Spider-Man. Right. Uh, so he I like to definitely Steve more people know Stanley than Steve Ditko for sure. Yeah. So I like to give him that little bump. Yeah. When I can. So I try to almost always list Ditko first, unless I'm talking about uh, uh, Spider-Man in a very Stanley specific way. Right. If you were talking about like the dialogue or the sort of like sales pitchy captions that are that are really funny and fun, that's 100% Stanley. Yeah. Or maybe something super goofy. I might get into <laughs> Stanley there. Um Okay, yeah, yeah, so I, yeah we go, we go yeah. over the issues. And what issue are we doing this time, Kev? We're doing issue 17. Nice. So real quick, is there any, uh, I don't think there's any Spider-Man news. Do we have any podcast news? Just that it's still going and going great. Well, very minor podcast news. We're, we are, we no longer have any episodes in advance. Like we're recording this a couple of days before we, we release it. Yeah. We, for a while had two or three episodes in advance and now we are, I mean, one thing goes wrong. We don't have a podcast. I mean, that's exciting. Yeah, we're basically the Spider-Man of Spider-Man podcasts. <laughs> so that's the only news. <laughs> the only news is we are less prepared than ever. Yep. <laughs> uh, great. Um, let's talk about uh, the cover first, and then I'll talk about Mar- what's going on at Marvel. Okay. So what's on the cover of issue 17? So uh, we have, this is, uh, issue is guest starring the Human Torch. That seems to be a, a big focus of the cover, but it's also the return of the Green Goblin, who... Nice. We last saw in issue 13, 14? I think it's 15 with the Hulk and the Enforcers. Uh, 14. Whoops. Yeah, 15 was um, uh, Craven. Craven, okay. So, yeah. so he's uh, been, See, this is the kind of stuff. We had a couple more weeks. I would have had that ready. Yeah, we would have gotten that all set up. Uh, yeah. So it's been a few issues since we've seen Green Goblin. He was a pretty goofy villain last time. But this yeah. is the beginning of him becoming a serious threat, I feel like. Yeah, he, uh, he, yeah, in, in his first appearance, the previous appearance, he tries to get a movie deal, successfully gets a movie put together starring Spider-Man just so that he can get Spidey alone on a set and try to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> that's a goofy, that's a goofy plot. Yeah. And now, and now he's becoming more the actual serious threat that we, we will know him as for the rest of his time. Yeah. I mean, this issue, he just goes to where Spider-Man is and fights yeah. him. Much easier. Better plan. You don't have to get financing. Um, but on this cover, we see the Green Goblin's new glider. Last time he was riding kind of a broomstick thing, and now he's uh, riding like more of a bat. It looks way cooler. 
Yep. Um, his sparks still look ineffective. Uh, yeah. But I, they, were, they were enough to convince the enforcers to join up. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I love the Human Torch. I love the Human Torch and Spider-Man comics. I love when these two are together. So that's an exciting cover. I think this is a very good cover. Me too. Um, I, I think it is a decent cover visually and a great cover story-wise. Like I love when the Human Torch is in Spider-Man stuff. It's great. Yeah. If I saw this on the stands, I'd be like, ooh, I got to get this one. Yep. This cover is doing its job for sure. Great. Um, so before we get into the issue, uh, we have a tiny bit of Marvel news, and that is that uh, the Hulk is finally back in his own comic. Ooh. Um, so up till now, the Hulk has just been sort of guest starring around, including in, in uh, uh, Spider-Man 14. Right. Where he sort of showed up uh, to fight, and he uh, also showed up in some Fantastic Four stories and a bunch of Avengers stories. He's been fighting Thor and Iron Man. Um, but starting this month, he is a co-feature in Tales to Astonish. So it's now Giant Man and the Incredible Hulk sort of splitting that book. All right. Welcome back, Hulk. Yeah. And next month, I'll rem- I'll say it again next month, but next month, Captain America gets his co-feature and he becomes a regular. He comes out of not just in the Avengers now, he'll have his own stories, solo stories. It's just um, weird in our current age where everything's digital and online and, and things are, so, you know, comic books are so much bigger than they once were in terms of their money potential and intellectual property potential potential that like in the mid 60s when spider-man and the hulk and all this stuff they're like well we don't have enough titles so we're stuck we just can't do hulk for a while or whatever if i remember correctly i think it has something to do with like shelf space like they couldn't be guaranteed a slot for a new book so if they wanted to have their book on the magazine racks they had to take one of their books away i think that was part of it well again Uh, we don't have the time to that kind of information but if we did i think yeah. there's an interesting story there okay so but that's yeah, now, nowadays marvel cancels and relaunches and adds titles yeah. and we'll, there's so many books and yeah they'll yeah, change new, titles and any series yeah. it's crazy it's crazy uh, but anyway the hulk's back and i'm happy about that me too love the hulk he's one of the most famous marvel characters it's crazy that he, he didn't have his own title for this long yep i uh, love and at him. some point in the, in the far future he just takes over tales to astonish they just rename it the hulk and keep the numbering so even though he's only had six issues he's now Hulk number 60 in effect. He deserves it. I say they should have made it 160. Yeah, I mean, it, there's no reason to jump the title uh, number, but uh, <laughs> but I'm glad you're, you're on his side. Okay, that's our Marvel news. Uh, yeah, it's, that's all the Marvel news that we've got. And I think at this point, we just launch into it, right? I can't wait. So yeah, uh, uh, what'd you think of this issue, Will? I love this issue. I uh, re- The friendship of the Human Torch and Spider-Man is fascinating. That really makes the issue for me. Also, seeing the Green Goblin get more menacing and Ditko has improved his visual design. I mean, it was already good and now it's better. That's exciting. Um, there's a lot yeah. of soap opera subplot in this issue, and I, I really loved it. I mean, it, it gets a little... Uh, people have to act a little bit unreasonable in order to keep that that subplot going. But I, I like the emotional stuff. So this to me was a jam-packed issue of story and I loved it. Yeah. And the way this story ends, which we'll get to when we get to it, uh, stays with me and it makes this one of those issues that I uh, like it, when I remember yeah. the early issues, like this is one of like four or five stories that uh, always stands out in my head. And it's purely because of how the story ends. It's a it's a gut punch and I and I love it and um it's it's I think what it's a, makes a defining Spider-Man moment. It's a def- yeah, I totally agree and it's what makes Marvel comics stand out from the other comics of their time is they had this ability to get emotional in a way that superhero comics had not done and it kind of comes out of nowhere sometimes. 
Yeah. So let's start talking about this. It doesn't start with a splash page. I mean, it is a splash page. It's one big panel, but it's we're already in the story. Peter's in class and he's remembering the Green Goblin and going, hey, whatever happened to that guy? Yeah. And meanwhile, he's in high school. You know, we this this first panel, Peter's in, in his high school classroom looking at a book. I'm always interested to track Peter's high school classmates because <laughs> their degree of meanness varies. Like they're always mean to Peter, but sometimes they're brutally mean and they seem to have no memory that like he's been getting good looking and beating up Flash in a boxing match and like um the most popular girl in school has a crush on him, but they still just think he's Dullsville nerd every time. I mean, it's tough to change momentum and it's probably still only been like, what, it feels like six months? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's probably right. you know, it's less than a year since his uncle Ben died, probably. Although something, as you pointed out, if somebody in my classroom had their guardian murdered, like if somebody who yeah. already didn't have this was being raised by their aunt and uncle, their uncle was shot in their house. That alone would make me stop bullying them, you know? I mean, I wouldn't be like, sure. check out Dullsville with his book. <laughs> I'd be like, look at Traumatized Boy. Are you okay? But if I was okay bullying him the day after that happened, <laughs> which they yeah. did, yeah, I guess true. I'd still be doing it now. Yep, you're right. If that didn't so, stop me, what's going to stop me? <laughs> <laughs> so Peter's wondering about the Green Goblin, and coincidentally, we cut to the Green Goblin, and he's thinking about Spider-Man. Yeah, these guys are in, are just made They're for each love. other. Yeah. They're in love, yeah. Uh, um, the Goblin is fighting a dummy that he's made of Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an excuse for Steve Ditko to draw a Spidey Goblin fight scene without having it really be a fight scene. Yeah. And, and I said this when we looked at the cover. I love the new glider. This is the glider that we, uh, that's, you know, the basically standard, what it's almost always looked like or something very close to this. Uh, for one issue, he's riding sort of a weird broomstick thing. Yeah. Uh, and this was just, I don't know if Steve Ditko's like, I can do better and yeah. turn this out, but it's great. It looks so cool. It's like a little hover bat, hoverboard that he's like standing on kind of. Yeah. The Goblin is it's an the one interesting that you're villain. If you've ever seen the Goblin, this is his classic glider. Yeah. He's such an interesting character because his theme is basically like Halloween. Yeah. Right? Because he's a he rides a bat, he's dressed as a goblin, he throws pumpkin bombs. Yeah, it's it's and more this is, Batman villain than Spider-Man villain in terms of just like insane visual motif. Yeah, all the other villains have been so simple. It's like octopus, lizard, yeah. uh vulture. Yeah. And it's like this guy's like, uh creepy stuff. Yeah. But it really works. Um, another thing I love about Marvel Comics of the 60s is because Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, you know, the two main artists, because I, I assume because they were given so much uh, agency to just like, you know, they didn't have to run stuff by anybody but Stan. Um, they were really creative. Like the villains look nuts. I mean, like Galactus and the Fantastic Four is just the craziest looking dude, you know, or like like the visual design, DC, everybody was kind of looking the same. You know, everybody yeah. kind of looked like Superman, cape and cowl. And Lex and Luthor Marvel, and Brainiac like looked the Halloween same. Halloween boy on his bat glider or whatever. Yeah. And like Lex Luthor and Brainiac originally looked almost identical. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Um, it's kind of loopier and crazier in the Marvel universe in a really fun way. I mean, like, the original Batman villains had probably the most range and that's mostly like Dick Sprang. Um, yeah. Probably. But I think that's why the Batman villains have really stood the test of time. Like those guys keep coming back. But if you look at like Silver Age DC comics, a lot of it is just sort of like nice dude in a cape fights bald dude with a gun or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, bald equals evil in DC comics. All right. So 
All right, so Goblin is obsessed with Spite. He looks cool. We don't know who he is, and we're setting up for a battle. Yeah, they keep teasing his identity, um, which I wouldn't even think about if they didn't make such a big deal about it, but they do. They do, uh, yeah. They let us know it's a mystery, and I'm and I'm buying it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, meanwhile, back at school, Flash Thompson's got something the gang's going to go crazy about. I love this. At first, I thought they were going to be talking about crime news, because like whenever the high school people have a hubbub and Peter goes over to see what it is, they always have like up-to-the-minute information on a crime wave, but it's not this time. No, this time, Flash Thompson has uh, decided to start his own chapter of the Spider-Man fan club, and he's going to be president because he's Spider-Man's biggest fan. Uh, everyone's invited to it. join except for one person, Peter Parker, not invited. <laughs> yeah. Well, as Flash said, he wouldn't be interested in anything unless it's strictly from Dullsville. Yeah, that's right. You said a mouthful. Uh, even uh, Flash's friend in the bow tie. Flash Thompson is the best. Uh, even the, the kid in the bow tie standing behind Flash Thompson thinks that's a funny joke. And that kid looks like a bookworm too. Yeah, these guys are all wearing bow ties and jackets. Like, I don't know why they're making fun of Peter in his blue suit. Um, but I, I love that we're left with Liz, Liz Allen still has a crush on Peter. Yeah, and she's got a plan to get him into the Spider-Man fan club. Which I don't know how yeah, that so our, helps her crush. Like she doesn't have to go to the fan club. She can hang out with Peter in other ways, but she's got to get him in this she club. She has access to Peter in high school, right? Like yeah. she doesn't. <laughs> but uh, I, I like when Liz Allen is scheming. So I was happy to see it. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. So meanwhile, Peter Parker leaves high school and he stumbles upon a crime scene. There's a helicopter and a bunch of costumed goons holding bags of money. And uh, he's changes into a Spidey costume and snaps into action. Yep. Turns out that it's a movie that's being shot. Right. And he ruined the movie. So he looks yes. like a fool. I don't know how they were filming it. <laughs> the camera is so far away from the action. It's such a long shot. Yeah. yeah. These guys... I don't know. It's, you know, they didn't have CGI. I just, I just I love, I love how mad they get at Spider-Man. Like New York, <laughs> New Yorkers and high school students in the Spider-Man comics, they get so mad at Spider-Man so fast. It's so funny. Yeah. Like he walks by a few people who are watching it just like him going, oh my God, what's happening? But the moment it's revealed to be a movie scene, everyone on the street knew it. They think he's an idiot. He's a, he's a problem. Like yeah. get out of town, Spider-Man. They turn on him so fast. <laughs> We see the bystanders gossiping about him. Like after this, after this goof, one of the, we see the townspeople or the city people talking and somebody's like, did you hear what happened to Spider-Man? And the response is some sensational superhero he is. I wonder how he finds his way home at night. And they're all just like gossiping about what a fool he looked like, even though he performed a... An incredible feat to save them from villains. Yeah. He saved the city numerous times very publicly, but he ruined one movie shot. And some lady, <laughs> I mean, New York and some city, lady thinks he's getting too big for, for his movies, bridges. You know what I mean? They're, they don't want somebody interfering. Yeah. So uh, Peter... A uh, dejected goes to pick up Betty Brant from the Daily Bugle where J. Jonah Jameson's already heard about the big goof and is putting out an extra edition of the Daily Bugle to make fun of him. <laughs> I mean, it's like Fox News and Spidey is Hillary Clinton. Like they can't wait to report on any little thing that goes wrong or something like that. Like they're so happy. J. Jonah Jameson is so happy to report on any the smallest bit of negative yeah. news about Spider-Man. such a tiny thing compared to the... Huge mistakes Jonah's made, but oh, he loves it. Uh, and uh, uh, at this point, uh, Peter and Betty Brant walk home and they run into Flash and Liz Allen, uh, which Betty yes. is not happy about because she thinks correctly that Liz Allen is making a play for Peter, but she also thinks incorrectly that Peter is interested. Right. Well, Liz Allen's supposed to be this like kind of sexy, popular, sort of stereotypical blonde rich girl. 
Um, so maybe she's got a reason to be a little nervous about this vixen sidling up to Petey. I mean, and especially in this issue, because in this issue, Liz is a little more snippy towards Betty. She's putting Betty down. She is trying to show yeah. off in front of Betty. Before this, she seemed to just be sort of overly friendly with Peter. But now she seems to actively being trying to poison him against his girlfriend. Yes, there's a real change in Liz Allen in this issue, and I'm in favor of it. And they're they're basically making Liz Allen and Betty Brant kind of a Betty and Veronica thing where like, Liz Allen is the rich girl. Betty Brandt had to drop out of high school to get a job. Yeah. Um, I mean, the- Liz is a snob and she's like confident and shameless. And Betty is sort of more the trying to be reasonable, yeah. but can't help but feel but insecure. In this version, Archie only likes one of them. He Peter never really shows interest in Liz Allen. Bef- I mean, he right. did, I guess, before he met Betty because she was the only other female character. But since he started dating Betty, he's never seemed to want to date Liz at all. Yep, that's true. Her first comment here when she sees Pete, uh, Peter and Betty together, Liz Allen walks up and says, mm, putting on some weight, aren't you, Miss Brandt? Here, Petey, I want you to read this. <laughs> so it's not subtle in terms of Liz's attitude towards Betty. Yeah, and Betty doesn't seem to care about the weight comment, but she feels old because she was called Miss Brandt. Yes, oh, when she called me Miss Brandt, I feel 100 years old. Um I don't know. I'm into it. I, I'm into the soap opera. I'm into the rivalry. I think it's fun. We also find out. I don't. Oh, think- and then Flash Thompson, by the way, is also miffed that Liz Allen is paying attention to Peter. Yeah. I guess, are they still dating Flash and Liz? That's a weird relationship. I guess they're dating, but she's allowed to openly hit on whoever she wants. It's really being cuckolded here. Um, Liz, I think we also learned this for the first time. I don't think we knew this, that Liz is rich. No, we did not know that. Liz is rich. She's from a rich family. Her dad's country club is going to host the first meeting of the Spider-Man fan club. Um, And and, uh, Betty feels bad about that. Like now, like this beautiful blonde is also rich on top of everything else. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough competition. And, you know, Peter's sort of, Peter mostly is uh, being affected by Flash in this scene because he's so flattered by Flash, uh, who's who's claiming that Spider-Man will be at his opening and he knows Spider-Man will show up because uh, Spider-Man's like a good guy, right? That's what I'm talking about. This, this issue has a lot going on. Like there's Betty and Peter. So there's Betty versus Liz. But there's also Flash Thompson as Spider-Man's biggest fan who hates Peter Parker. Yeah. Which is, I, I always love that, that tact in these stories. So like, whenever Flash stands up for Spider-Man, I'm always kind of moved. Because, you know, we, as readers of the comic, we agree with Flash. You know, we think Spider-Man's the best. There's a panel here on page seven, uh, the third panel, where Peter is like smiling because uh, Flash says, Spider-Man won't let his loyal fans down. And, he's, and Peter is flattered. I mean, he's just heard, he's just, he's just gone through a couple pages of everybody complaining and making fun of Spider-Man. And here's a guy who's standing up for him. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, Peter gets distracted because the Green Goblin maybe walks by, uh, which he doesn't know, but some stranger walks by. And, uh, and Peter's spider sense goes off, but he decides not to do anything about it because he's just made this huge mistake with the movie set. Right. That's right. So he's a little less uh, anxious. Uh, a little later, he goes swinging around the city to see if he can figure out what was setting his spider sense off. But he doesn't really see anything other than like some guy with a thick mustache who does turn out to be a criminal. Yeah. Um, so he misses a real criminal because he's being a little gun shy. But then the human torch shows up and stops this criminal. This criminal, by the way, is like 50 years old. Yeah. He's like a very dapperly dressed. And I don't know what his criminals in New York City, in Spider-Man's New York City are like in their 40s. But I guess he's just like, he just held somebody up on the street. 
Yeah, he's aggressive. Uh, and then, yeah, the Human Torch stops him, is immediately mobbed by fans who want his autograph. I love it. The difference between people who adored Human Torch and the people who suspect Spider-Man is very funny. It's always played up big in Spider-Man comics. Yeah, uh, there's a great moment where Human Torch gives Spider-Man an autograph, or Peter Parker an autograph, because Peter, uh, Peter's kind of standing behind him, like, just scowling. Yeah, Peter's just standing by stunned at how much people love the human torch and the torch sees him and says hold it fella i noticed you're hanging around in case you're too shy to ask me here's my autograph anyway don't bother thanking me i'm just all heart and peter says what am i supposed to do with what am i supposed to do sleep with it under my pillow (laughs) yeah yeah. but he takes it you know what when i was a kid like it's such a smart move like of course if you're a a comic book fan you don't relate to the human torch you relate to peter parker there's always somebody else getting more attention and more fuss it's like, it's such a savvy move in terms of making a comic book character. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that we are like almost 10 pages into the story and we haven't even gotten close to a Spider-Man Green Goblin fight. Uh, I think like Steve yeah, Ditko is starting to ex, uh, extend his will because I think he loves the Peter Parker stuff more. And he's, <laughs> oh, that's and interesting. He's I wonder if that's putting true, in yeah. the, the story and the, and the uh, setup and he wants to build the fight instead of like have a fight, get away from the fight, go back to another fight. I think he's thrown a lot more story in. There's a, a genuinely funny panel here that I want to point out because I think Stan Lee's got such a good sense of humor. Uh, the last panel on page nine, right after the everybody's been mobbing the human torch for autographs, we see this kid who's gotten a human torch autograph running by Peter and the kid says, boy, this is my lucky day. Hey, did you get his autograph too? And Peter goes, no, this is spider man's would you like to swap and the kid goes what do you think i am a nut (laughs) no (laughs) that exchange really makes me laugh i mean if he had said yes he'd be in trouble because he is holding a human torch autograph yeah peter was lying peter was totally lying uh um jonas planning to go to the spider-man fan club meeting because he wants to uh i guess ruin it for spider-man somehow He doesn't. J. Jonah Jameson's acting on instinct. He doesn't have a plan. Yeah. I like this, though. It's sort of a crossover for you, Will, because he mentions the Beatles here. Yeah, yeah, you betcha. I noticed it. He was really, he's worried that Spider Man will become as popular as the Beatles, which he does. He's correct to be worried about that. Yeah. Who do I you mean, Spider Man outlasted the Beatles by quite some time. So he has the advantage of being a fictional character. Still, I'm going to give him credit for longevity. Well, they'll reboot the Beatles eventually. Can't wait. Uh, and then Aunt May is still trying to set Peter up with Mary Jane Watson. Um, but Mary oh, yeah. Jane's got a bad cold and can't go on the date. Um, yes. Uh, I got, there, there really is a lot of soap opera in this issue. We got Liz versus Betty, Flash versus Peter, Mary Jane, who we haven't even met yet versus Liz and Betty. And we won't meet. Jay Jonah. I, I keep Spider-Man. stressing this. We're not going to meet Mary Jane in the entire run of this podcast because she does yeah. not show up until the John Romita issues. I think there's one yeah. issue where she shows up, but her like face is blocked by a flower. That's, That's right. the closest That's we'll right. get to meeting her. Yep. Yeah, her debut in the first... It's the first issue of John Romita, yeah, right? Right away. Mary Jane? Yeah. That's a great issue, man. Yeah. Um, John Romita came out of the gate hot when he took over Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, I think Stan Lee wanted to make sure we didn't lose fans. Yeah. Because, like, at this point, like, Kirby was still doing Thor and Fantastic Four. Like, the big issues had not lost their creator. Main person. Uh, and he, like, yeah. he made sure that, like, Kirby kept working on the big titles and the other titles could change yeah. and move around. But it's like these big ones, we, we don't want to mess with it. Losing Ditko is huge. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Um, okay. So we get to the Spider-Man fan club. We're at Liz Allen's rich dad's dinner club. It's like one of the biggest dinner clubs I've ever seen. Did you notice that? Did you notice hanger. the big mistake? No. In the first panel, they refer to Liz Allen's uh, dad as Mr. Brandt. 
Oh, what a slip up, Flash. Yeah. Flash calls Liz's dad Mr. Brandt. Yeah. Um, I mean, he deserves a slap. Uh, That shows how confident Liz Allen is, you know? Her father is... Her boyfriend calls her dad the wrong last name and she doesn't even bat an eye. She's running this place, man. uh, You know, it's uh, it's, a... Maybe it's Flash's way of getting back at her for flirting with Peter earlier. Yeah. The dad doesn't seem to notice either. And the dad also doesn't care that he got called the wrong name. I didn't notice that. That's a huge mistake. Um, And at this point, so like they're all in the club, including J. Jonah Jameson and Betty Brandt. Uh, Spider-Man is outside and so is the Green Goblin. Oh, and the Human Torch is at the club. Yeah, the Human Torch came by to see Spider-Man. That's pretty cool. So the pieces are set. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read much of Strange Tales uh, or or anything with Human Torch's girlfriend. but Her main characteristic is that she does not like him flaming on and being the human torch. Oh, really? yeah, it's a real lame character trait because her trait You're dating is the wrong guy. the human torch from being who he is. Yeah. Well, all right, Mick Jagger, I'll be your girlfriend, but no more of this Rolling Stones stuff. Yeah. Uh, so she's like warning the human torch not to uh, try to compete with Spider-Man and human torch promises not to become the human torch tonight. Yeah. So page 12, we get into it. Spidey shows up. I get tw- twice now. People have just advertised that Spider-Man will show up without having made any arrangements to make this true. And he's yeah, done it. Two issues in a row. It's yep. he's really, he's, so Spidey shows up and immediately the green goblin is there and attacks. Yeah, throws him. some sort of weird exploding frog. <laughs> yeah. A totally typical supervillain weapon, an exploding yeah. frog. Breaks the web line, but Spider-Man doesn't want to make people nervous. So he pretends it was all part of the act. Um, it's somebody's not fooled though. Well, the human torch says that thinks to himself, that was no act. Someone tried to hurt Spider-Man. Yeah. He's seen his fair share of supervillain battles. He knows the real deal when he sees it. He knows something's yeah. up, but the crowd, the crowd does not suspect. So Spidey and Green Goblin keep fighting on the stage for real. And the crowd thinks it's a show. Yeah. Um, and Be- uh, Betty is mostly distracted because she's glad to see Peter's not there with Liz Allen. J.J. to Jameson is trying to think of how he can ruin this for yeah. Spider-Man. I will say, like, this is why I don't love this part for Betty Brandt. Like, the fact that she spends the whole issue just, like, worried that Peter is going to leave her for Liz. It's just a very, it's not fun. Like, I liked her more as, like, somebody with a, who has a career, you know, uh, has yeah. her own life, gets out there and does things. Yeah. Uh, I liked her tragic past, like the sort of tragic, you know, she can't have a normal high schooler's life because of her, her oh, There's a thing we skipped over that I want to just revisit real quick on page six, because uh, Peter uh, makes a, a, a comment about not realizing that Betty would want to go to the Spider-Man fan club. He's like, uh, right. you know, what difference does it make to you, Betty? He says, and Betty goes, have you forgotten, Peter? Spider-Man saved my life three times in the past. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's such that's a funny right. line. Didn't you remember? Like every other week he saves my life. It's uh, so But funny. most of the issues she mostly spends like, going, oh, I hope Peter and Liz don't get together. I just, I get bored of it. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, you're, you're right that Betty Brandt is less cool when she's just worrying about Liz Allen, but it, it humanizes the story to have just some sort of love life stuff going on. Like, I'm kind of glad that it's not just villain and yeah. hero stuff. So I, don't mind I, I like an emotional stuff. She had something somehow. other than jealousy. Yeah. Anyway, um, the fight continues. We've got bats being thrown and pumpkins being thrown. There's like a thick black fog that encases Spider-Man. Like, uh, Goblin's weapons are intense. Yeah. Um, Goblin's riding around in this glider. He's really hard to catch, uh, but Human Torch doesn't buy it. Uh, throughout this entire fight, every time we check in on the Human Torch, he's got a hunch that this is no act. Yep. Um, Spidey gets a couple of good jokes in. Uh, Goblin says, you'd save a lot of energy if you had a goblin glider like mine. Spidey's like, where'd you get it, Gobby? Your local Hertz rent-a-glider? 
I liked that joke <laughs> when I was a child, and I like it now. Uh, um, yeah. Liz is paying no attention to this. She's only scanning the crowd. Yeah, for and Peter she makes Parker. it, uh, and she's looking for him, and she even says it out loud. I wonder why Peter Parker's never around when Spider Man appears. Uh, and Spider Man hears this and is like, "Oh man, she's getting suspicious." Yeah. Um, okay, so Spidey is closing in on the goblin. He started to make headway. He started to maneuver around so that he can capture him. Right at the same time, the Human Torch decides. Well, to he get notices involved. these criminals on the top of the fan club getting ready to break in and rob the place while this fight's going on. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Are they separate? They're from completely Goblin? separate. They're in for two panels of this issue. These criminals show up and they're like, ah, while this fight's going down, uh, is it, now's our chance to break into the cashier's safe up here while everyone's watching those clowns down below. Yeah, if I saw Goblin and Spider Man going into a huge fight, I would not want to yeah. get anywhere near So they're pulling out know? guns and Human Torch goes, well, but, I got to take care of that. Spider Man's dealing with the Green Goblin. Yep. But unfortunately. Yeah, but unfortunately, he flies right in between Spidey and the Goblin, blocking Spidey's web that would have captured yeah, the Yeah, we were told both Spider-Man and Green Goblin knew it. They both think to themselves that uh, if that had not happened, Spider-Man would have gotten the Green Goblin. But he does scare off these three criminals, and they make a pledge to go straight. Yeah, so the torch saves, the torch, the torch changes three lives. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Flash Thompson is uh, mad that the Torch is there. Everyone's kind of excited to see the Human Torch, but Flash only wants Spidey. Get lost, Torch. This is a private party. Yeah, but Spider-Man takes this as an opportunity to do a quick change back into Peter Parker so he can make an appearance to convince Liz that he is not Spider-Man. Which is insane. It's crazy because, like, Spider-Man's still not in sight at this moment. It's more suspicious if you ask me, but... Yeah, he changes back into Peter really fast, shows up, Liz is all over him. Betty sees Liz being all over Peter. Flash. Peter sees Betty seeing it. Flash, uh, rather, uh, Jonah sees Spider-Man without his camera and gets mad. Yes. Parker did come. Where's his camera? <laughs> uh, meanwhile, the goblin starts to make headway on the torch. Yeah, he throws a like a little ghost cloud maker at him. Yep, which somehow like su- it takes the oxygen away. Then he th- then he does one of his his got his glider is able to emit black smoke and it like kind of covers and smothers the torch a little bit. Yeah, it disorients him a little bit. Um, and so while this is going on, Betty doesn't really care because she's crying because Peter's with Liz. And then he, Peter runs off to change back into Spider Man. And he comes back into Spider Man. He's attacking the Goblin. Uh, it's looking it's looking like he and Torch are going to be able to to take care of this. Yeah, two then, on one. They got this guy. Yeah. Uh, but then the big moment happens. Spider-Man, during this fight, uh, is tossed nearby to the lo- the nearby payphone where Mr. Brandt slash Mr. Allen is answering the phone. And it's, and it's one of those things where very conveniently he says enough stuff that you get to know what's going on in the phone call, even if you can only hear his side of it. Yeah. Somebody is called looking for Peter Parker. And he says, his aunt suffered another heart attack asking for him in the hospital. I see. I'll see if I can find him. So Aunt May's in the hospital again. Yep. And that is the that is the trump card for Spider-Man. This is this this shuts Spider-Man down. It this doesn't matter what the villain is, what his personal life is. If Aunt May's in danger, that's it. Game over. He that is his, his priority. Yeah. So he immediately runs out of the building, and in Marvel Comics, that means he is for sure one hundred percent a coward. Which is the biggest crime you can commit in 60s Marvel comics, being a coward. People hate you for nothing more passionately than if you are a a turning yellow, as they say. So everyone watches him run. They're all upset. Jonah's reveling in it. 
Yeah, I can just see tomorrow's headline. Spider-Man turns chicken. This is a huge dramatic moment. Like Spidey runs away from a battle. Torch is in danger. They're in danger. And he runs away. It is kind of a crazy thing. Yeah, I, I like that at least initially uh, Human Torch uh, assumes something. He doesn't know something. Human Torch thinks to himself, I don't know why Spider-Man skipped out, but someone's got to stop the goblin. He doesn't think to himself, you know, that bum or that coward. I like that. He later sort of seems yeah. to be mad at Spider-Man, but at least initially he's like, I don't know what's going on. I'm clearly missing something. Goblin decides he's got to take off. Without Spider-Man around, he's not interested. Yep. So he, he kind of stuns the Human Torch and flies away, considers it a success because he scared off Spider-Man. Uh, we cut back to Spider-Man. He's racing along a rooftop, changing into Peter Parker frantically. Right, and then we cut back to the club uh, where Human Torch, uh, he says, I can't understand Spider-Man. What could have made him turn tail and run off the way he did? And his girlfriend, uh, uh, Dory, says... Underneath that silly old feud of yours, you really like Spider-Man, don't you, Johnny? This is the beginning of their real friendship. And the Torch looks concerned. He, he doesn't like that Spider-Man ran away, but he did like him. He doesn't know what to make of it. J. Jonah Jameson is happy as a clam. Yep. Uh, Betty is upset because she saw Liz with uh, Peter. Uh, Liz is upset because Peter's not there anymore. I love this part. Flash is the only one who does not betray yeah. Spider-Man. Everyone quits the club immediately. <laughs> uh, and Flash must have had a reason. Uh, says Spidey must have had a reason for what he did. And he's right. He's absolutely right. And, I mean, he's right to think that too. Spider-Man has done nothing to make people think he's anything other than a hero. Uh, Flash Thompson is the, uh, he can see that the emperor has no clothes. He's the only one that sees the truth. Spidey is still a hero. Uh, Peter races to the hospital. He gets there, pulls off his mask at the last second. Uh, he is just shaking with, with, with sadness. Uh, and she's call and she's calling out his name. We see Aunt May sick in bed and she's calling yeah. for Peter. And what is he? I mean, I, my heart goes out to him. It's like, well, he has to, he has yeah. to be there. It really works at me, and um, we, we've talked about this before briefly, but I think it's because our mother was sick and died in a hospital. I mean, not that it, not that you need to have experienced something so traumatic to understand why this is sad, but this kicks it up a notch for me. Like, personal family, being ill, wanting your help, forget about it. Like, And, and to have a comic book sort of uh, have that in its story moves me. It's still, it's yeah, still his whole life me. is like I, I'm so glad that Peter's there. Like I'm rooting for Peter to his stay. His whole there. life is collapsing around him, and he's upset about it. But the one thing that he cares about the most, he even says, the one person who's been kinder to me than anyone else in my life is in the hospital, and there's nothing I can do to help her. Spider-Man can't save her. And this last panel is one of the saddest in a while. Yeah, he's thrown off his costume. He's holding his head in his hands, and he just doesn't seem to be able to do anything right. Um, and that's how this story ends. That's it. Like, not yeah, it's a real like, downer. Doesn't catch of an anybody. Enemy. His aunt May is on death's door uh, step. Uh, his his girlfriend's mad at him. The school uh, still doesn't like him. His boss doesn't like like nothing. It went well. Yeah, he screwed up with everybody. Um, but because of that ending, and I think because there was so much emotional underplay, this to me is one of the banner issues of Spider Man. Yeah, I would say this issue and uh, the two issues that follow it are kind of a mini arc of three issues. And this is the start. Yep, this is like I chapter agree. one of a great little storyline. Uh, if you yes. haven't read these stories yet, if you've, or you're following along with us and are not rereading them, you're in for a treat. I think the, the, these three issues are the best three yeah, issues yet. They, they really kick it up a notch. Like every, every issue has been a very fun adventure story of a really good character. But every now and then there's a couple of arcs where the emotional 
subplots sort of jibe well with the stories and it just it just it transcends. I, and this is part one of three. I of might say this is my second favorite uh, arc in this original run. I, I think you might be right. It's definitely like you were saying, it's the one that I think about the most. Yeah. Like it, it just occurs to me. And I think part of that's because uh, there's so much in it. Uh, but but like the, next yeah. is, the next issue is great. And then the following up issue is just a great coda to that. Right, without saying too much, uh, uh, it's just good. It's going to follow up this thread of like Aunt May being sick and yeah. Spider-Man having run away and his whole life being a mess. I know it's it's such a satisfying story. I mean, what a what a great comic. I I, I mean it it's uh, it deserves its place as just like one of the best comics ever. And and kudos to um, Stan and Steve. Or I'm oh, sorry, I'll go with your order. Uh, kudos to you've Steve made, and Stan you've made your for. Choice. Um, <laughs> for not settling, you know, like I, I, they were just writing, you know, they were selling magazines to 12 year old boys. They didn't need to do anything other than have like their superhero punch the bad guy in the face, but they made, they made good stories. The, you know, they were fans of short stories and anthology things like the twilight zone and, um, and they're, they're stepping up and making great stuff. I love it. Um, and that's the end of our story, Will. Right, let's give it our awards. Great. What's your favorite panel? There are so many great panels. I'm, I'm weirdly going to st- stick to one that, that just not even because it's the most beautiful panel, but the one that just sticks in my mind the most. I'll give something just weird credit if it just stuck in my brain for years and years. And it's page 19, panel six, Spidey <laughs> hightailing it out the door. Um, this is a beautiful page. Uh, the whole page is amazing. And I'm going to say this. Yeah, page 19 is my, pa- my astoundingly great. It's also from this page. Uh, and it's the first panel. Uh, yeah, I was going to pick that just one the too. Way, Man, that looks Just the good. way the goblin looks as he sort of is going up and down. Like you can just see the motion there. Like his bag is sort of floating. He's sort of arced with his back and his hat's flowing and Spider-Man's hanging on. Yeah. It's such a cool action uh, motion happening there. You can just, it's so amazing. It's so great. I mean, Ditko picked villains, I think, that were visually compelling and that would be that would make for fun physical fights and also fun for him to draw. Yeah, and the goblin going up and down on his glider and Spidey swinging up and down next to him. In these static pictures, it looks so good. Yeah, so much is happening here. But I, yeah, him running away, uh, that that feels like, uh, like I saw it he's engraved in a wall he's running out the door and all of the the kids are watching him in shock uh i don't know it really it it stayed with me yeah the running away just like because he does it looks like i mean to one extent i I, we make fun of people for calling him a coward it looks like he is running away does not look like he's running somewhere because he's in such a hurry to get out of that room it looks like he's scared and and overwhelmed so okay those are our favorite panels How, what's your favorite Stan Lee dialogue? Uh, I mean, I gotta find it. Give me one second. Um, do you want to go first okay. while I dig mine out? Um, I don't really, I don't really have one. I guess, uh, I guess I'll take that panel that I said before, which is um, Spider Man's. Would you like to swap? What do you think I am? A nut? I don't know. Just because it made me really laugh, yeah. so I'll give. Um, I'll have that be mine. Yeah, nothing super stuck out to me either. The one I picked. Um, uh, uh, the one I picked is also sort of simple, but it's uh, during the fight on page 14. It's panel six. Uh, oh, no, sorry. Um, f- page 15, panel four. Um, and it's basically just where he's fighting the uh, uh, goblin. And he says, you're OK as a big, bad villain, but you'd never make it with a Dodgers, pal. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because he missed him with a pumpkin bomb or something. Uh, it's, it, it feels very typical of what I expect yeah. from uh, their banter. Yep. That's classic Stan Lee Spider-Man dialogue. Uh, what's your highlight? Well, I think we're going to have the same highlight, but what's your highlight? I mean, my highlight is it's the emotional highlight of Peter standing by Aunt May. 
Okay. Uh, mine is the moment before him running off. Uh, uh, your panel basically is that's my highlight. That moment, just him hearing that phone call and without a beat running out the door. Yeah, it's a really innovative turn. I, I, I'm going to change mine. If you're going to do that, I'm going to change okay. mine. Mine's going to be Flash Thompson sticking by Spider-Man. No, you're wrong. Because <laughs> he's been such a heel uh, the whole story, and they fi- they're finding a way to give him a heart. And I, I, I think that's a cool sort of uh, surprise. Uh, yeah, uh, that's uh, uh, that's definitely great too. Okay, what's the low light? I know, I think I know what yours is. Uh, my low light is I am Betty Brant. Yeah. Uh, uh, just I don't know that Betty and Peter. I want them to communicate. Like, yeah. Early in this it's issue, he tries to not let her run into Liz Allen. He can't even say to her like oh, Liz Allen's gonna is right over there. Let's just get out of here. Because yeah. he'd be too jealous of him to even say that, to even mention her name. Yeah. That's not a healthy relationship. And it makes me sad because they should be, I want them to be a good couple. Especially because we've seen Betty be kind of cooler before. Yeah. Um, uh, my, my low light is that he ch- changes back into Peter mid-fight. Um, that doesn't make any sense to me. I'm not buying yeah. that one. Uh, like you, you, This very dangerous person, it, you know, running away to protect Aunt May, I, I am surprised how much I buy that and I'm moved by it. Making an appearance as Peter just so that he doesn't make things awkward with his friends. Yeah. I don't buy it. I also like, it's just like the last issue with the circus is like, don't buy a ticket. You don't need to go to the event as Peter. Yeah. Peter could stay home. Yeah. I just want these things. You know, we just like it when the stories do a little bit job, a little bit better job of not exposing how insane It'd the be one thing are. if like Jonah was making him go. Like there's nobody forcing him to go. And he had to, to keep his job yeah. or something. Uh, nothing is forcing him to be there. So Peter should just say, I'm not going to go. A flash hates me. And that way I can show up yeah. as Spider-Man. Okay. Those are our awards. Yeah. Um, do you have any recommendations this uh, week? I don't, Kevin. I'm going to cede my time to you. Okay. I don't have a, 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 this is just something new I've been reading. Um, so I don't necessarily even know where it's going. It's a uh, Mike Carey's new comic book. I think okay. I mentioned Mike Carey before, cause I think I recommended Lucifer. Right. You did. Uh, Mike Carey is one of my favorite comic book writers. Uh, he's done a bunch of stuff that's been real popular. Unwritten is a really big one. Um, uh, Lucifer is still my favorite thing that he's done, but he's just started a new one called the highest house. I don't even know how to describe it yet. I think he's, I think it's being published in Europe and then being like reprinted here in America okay. uh, and they're like selling it and like um, almost like larger issues out there, like, like four issues in a volume or something. And here it's being broken down into issues. It's something like that. I read it in an interview, but it's, it's, it's a magical world. I don't know the rules of it. This person is sort of sold into as an indentured servant to work at the highest house. And there's something about this house. It's like a huge place. There's secrets to it. And the character we're following has been sold into like being a indentured servant as a roofer is starting right. to uh, be talked to at night by maybe the house or something that lives in the house. I don't even know what's going on, but Mike Carey has this ability to do magic in a way, magic, the downside to magic in, in comics and stories in general is that anything can happen. It just feels yeah, like no you can just cast a spell and then this thing happens. And I don't know what the rules are. Like, I know Spider-Man's not going to fly because he doesn't know how to fly. Right. right. In this, in magic worlds, you don't really know. And Mike Carey is a way of doing stories where that doesn't matter. The same way like Neil Gaiman did. Like, the Sandman is all powerful, but that isn't the point of those stories. Right. Uh, and Mike Carey has a similar thing where he's like telling the story and there is magic and it makes sense and it doesn't feel like it's all powerful, but you don't necessarily understand those limits and it doesn't feel like it, you need to. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's an interesting trick and I don't quite know how they handle it to like not have those rules spelled out, but also not leave you going, whatever, just yeah. fix it with a spell. You're still invested in the story. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough balance. 
Um, anyway, it's very interesting. It's very new. It's coming up by this uh, IDW is the comic company. It's only three issues in, and I've only read the first two, so that's why I barely know anything about it. But uh, it it reminds me of when I was reading Lucifer in the mid of, middle of its run, just going, oh, I love this. Okay, so, cool. So it's the first book in a while by him that has really recaptured that feel for me. Great recommendation. Um, what's to reader mail? Great. Um, so first, uh, this is not necessarily reading specific reader mail, but I've been posting on Instagram uh, movie clips from the Spider-Man movies because we just, our last podcast, um, our recent podcast was about the movie. Yep, that's uh, our last episode. Uh, yeah, yeah. We've had one in between then, but um, it, oh, has yeah. just, it just dropped in our timeline. Um, but anyway. All over the place. So the movie was recently, so I had posted a bunch of movie clips. First of all, we got a lot of great feedback. People, I think, really liked that episode, or at least want to talk about that episode. Um, but I posted the clip from Spider-Man three that is reviled his sort of emo. Um, I didn't post the nightclub coffee shop scene that people hate as well, but I, t- I posted like him walking down the street and sort of yeah. popping his collar and just <laughs> acting really weird. And sort of, I, I basically was putting it and being like, is this that much worse than these other scenes from Spider-Man two? And a lot of people came out in defense of Spider-Man three. I wasn't expecting this. A lot of people were like, I liked Spider-Man three. Um, I don't know. Um, I liked it. I never, I didn't hear that when the movie was out. No. Uh, but I like that there's people out there that are like, ah, I still like it. It's part of the trilogy and it, and it, I don't think it's as big a train wreck as other people think it is. Um, anyway, uh, uh, so that's a there's lot of, there's lots of good stuff in it and people who like throw it over the side totally are, are missing out. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of bad parts too. I'm not going to deny it, but, uh, I just don't think it's as yeah. bad. I don't think it's as bad as everyone thinks. Just like, I don't think Spider-Man one and two are as good as everyone thinks it's somewhere in the mm-hmm. middle. Um, Everyone's got the order, right? The second one is the best one and the third one is the worst one. But um, <laughs> uh, uh, it was just, just interesting. They're just overemphasizing certain things. That's right. Uh, we have this email from uh, a guy I think we know, Justin Bridge. Yes, we know Justin. And uh, he he's uh, many people have asked this. They're asking us to extend our run to go beyond the Ditko issues. Um, he wants us to do the Dan Slot issues, which we're not going to do. It's an enormous, that's an enormously long run. Yeah. Um, we just... Although you, you and Scott Ackman were talking about how good they are. Yeah. I mean, I've read them all and I'd be happy to have a reason to read them again, but I just don't think we, we have the patience to do that longer run. Then he suggests doing uh, other classic runs of comics. And I just want to read the classic runs and you give me like a one set, your one sentence thoughts on them, uh, your opinion of them, if you've read them and your thoughts on them, if you haven't. Okay. You ready for this? I think you'll like this. Uh, John Byrne on Superman. Oh, interesting. Uh, An interesting experiment that I I didn't think was that fun to read. Oh, interesting. Oh, wow. What, what do you uh, think? I I don't remember it super well. I that's the Superman that I that sort of imprinted with me, like that mm. limitations that John Byrne sort of I think set in stone that you know he's the only Kryptonian uh, that he was slightly depowered but not incredibly depowered. Um, that yeah. uh, Luther it was, is a it was good story man. decisions. Just the, the stories themselves, I thought I I don't know. I just I didn't yeah. they didn't move. Me. I don't remember any of the stories, but I just remember like the the structure that was built yeah. around it that stood for a long time. Uh, is how I think of Superman. Yeah. Uh, next is Paul Levitz and Keith Giffen on Legion of Superheroes. Uh, I didn't read it, but anything with Keith Giffen I'm interested in just because uh, I love uh, Ambush Bug and his Justice League runs so much. Yeah. Uh, I've read a few of the storylines, not a lot. I've never gotten hooked onto the Legion of Superheroes. I read the Great Darkness Saga, which is like their most famous storyline. Mm-hmm. And it was really good. And then I read other stuff, which I just couldn't get hooked on. But I'd be curious to read more of it. Okay. Uh, Wolfman Perez on Teen Titans. 
Oh, uh, the art was incredible. I mean, this to me is very iconic DC art. Yeah. Um, but I didn't read enough of it to totally know. But when I picture the Teen Titans, that that's that's the way I'm picturing them. Yeah. I mean, George Perez. That's he. That's where he became a superstar, right? He, um, he stayed amazing forever after that. But like, this is where like you just took notice yeah. of him. Uh, I've only read some of it as well. And I'm a huge Dick Grayson, a Robin fan, Nightwing fan. Uh, and I could never get into this series. Yeah. I wanted to so bad, but I found it uh, convoluted and confusing, but I haven't read it from the beginning and I read it sort of haphazardly at best. Might've been the kind of thing where the characters were not defined well initially and it took a lot of work to try to make them interesting or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but that'd be, I'd be interested in doing that as well. Here's one I know yeah. you'll like Frank Miller on Daredevil. Of course. I mean, it's one of my all time favorite comic books. Again, as I said before, Frank Miller becomes very problematic later in his career. He sort of becomes this ornery, grouchy, alt-right. Uh, I don't know. He gets worse, I think. But in the, um, when he started off, he really was a shot in the arm of comics in terms of just great stories, high emotional stakes. He borrowed from crime fiction in a great way. His art was interesting and innovative. So I, I, yeah, and, and he made Daredevil. He basically made, he totally made Daredevil, not even basic, basically, yeah. uh, you know, and right after Daredevil, well, he went, he went away from it, came back for an amazing second run that Dave Mazzuchelli drew and then did the Dark Knight Returns. So like for a while, like Frank Miller was just sort of this like conqueror of worlds. Yeah. Um, there, there are two runs of stories that look Two bad, runs on like, Daredevil and two runs on Batman. Yeah. And they're both great. They're all great. There are certain things that you look back and you're like, oh yeah, like the female characters, just, just like in crime fiction, actually, tend, tend to just be bait and hostages. Um, he also liked to amp up like drugs and sort of the seedier side of things, which was like porn and prostitution. And when I was a kid, that was like dangerously cool in a way. It's like, ooh, comics are getting into seedy stuff in a way that made them very enticing. But now I look back and I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like a little uh, gratuitous, I guess. Uh, but what, yeah. uh, on the whole, the stories are great and I'm fascinated by them. I mean, it was such a great run at Marvel at that point, like the Jim Shooter era. The Jim Shooter so era at Marvel, which is, we're biased towards it because that's when we really got into comics. But it it was the first time since Stan Lee that Marvel had its own new identity that was not the original generation. I think. Yeah, uh, so much good stuff. And some of it I may, maybe wasn't quite under Jim Shooter, but just like Walt Simonson's Thor, Frank Miller's Daredevil, Roger Stern's Avengers, John Byrne's Fantastic Four. Chris Claremont's X-Men. Yeah, that maybe predated a little bit, but got really good under Shooter. Like, yeah. that's such... Those are all like tent poles in those titles. Some of them are second tent poles, and some of them are first tent poles. Yeah, it was a, it was a great time to be reading Marvel comics for sure. Uh, here's one that I think we both like: Giffen and Demati's on Justice League. Oh yeah, classic. the The best balance of funniness and action that I've ever seen. Yeah, I think the first half of their run is just perfect for me. It's like, it's exactly my sensibilities of what I want. Yep. It's sort of a fun superhero comic. Yep. Uh, at the end, it gets a little sillier and we lose some of the actual superhero part. Um, and definitely when they revisited it later, it's a little sillier and I still love it. But the, oh man, like the first half of their run is near perfect, I think. I agree. Uh, and finally, uh, Lee Kirby's Fantastic Four run, which I think is way too long for us to cover. But, way uh, too long, talk about but, that? but the, 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 uh, the trajectory up of story quality in that run is insane. Yeah, it got I think so good in the middle after being interesting, but maybe not great, that it became so great. 
Uh, it was. It, it's really the Beatles of Marvel Comics as Lee and Kirby on Fantastic Four. That's the yeah, Lennon-McCartney magic, dynamic, perfect team. I think we maybe have mentioned it on the podcast before, but like we were reading this. We had read some of it, but we were reading the Essential Collections. That's right. And the first collection was like pretty good. Yep. And we we liked it. Um, and uh, there was some stuff we really liked, but it was a little uneven. Yep. And then I forget whether it was the second volume or the third volume. I think it was the third volume where we were like, oh man, this book's gotten no, I think it's really, the second. Really the second good. is when it kicks into high gear. Like that's when it's Galactus. And I think the third volume has this man, this monster or something like that. Oh, no, I, here's how I remember it. And I might remember it wrong. So, okay. but I remember reading a volume and being like, wow, this was really good. And then we went like, Galactus hasn't even shown up yet. Okay. All right. Yeah. That might be right. Like we hadn't even gotten to like the biggest stories and we were already like, oh man, this is good. Now I get it. Yeah. Now I get why this book was so popular. Yeah. And they haven't even gotten to the iconic, uh, the, the ones that I know are the best stories. Yeah. I will say this as well. Like uh, in my opinion, uh, the, the first handful of Vermita issues are really good, but Spider-Man tails off pretty quickly yeah. under that, in my opinion. Yeah, me too. Um, and that's roughly when like Fantastic Four gets really, really good. Yeah. So I, I imagine me reading comics at that time being like, I love Spider-Man, I love Spider-Man. And then all of a sudden going, no, man, Fantastic Four. Yeah. Also, the Fantastic Four issues were special in a way that has not been captured. Like a lot of Spider-Man's goodness, not totally, but somewhat has been represented on screen. Like they're, they're somewhere in the right neighborhood. Fantastic Four, it's never been close. Uh, what is the it's, coolest it, thing about them? Yeah. And it's, uh, there's something also just about the sheer quantity of ideas in those books. Cause like when it's really tearing through, it just feels like every issue's got like two big ideas, not just like one, but it's like something big happens. And then halfway through the story, it's like, ah, and this is also crazy. It just feels like it never slows down. Yeah. Great letter, uh, Justin. Thank you. Yeah. It's fun to talk about. I don't know if we'd cover any of those, I, you know, who knows what we'll end up doing. Yeah. We've got still a ways to go on this yeah. run. We don't need to worry about it. Uh, that's all the letters I'm going to read today. We definitely have more emails uh, that I, uh, I'm just not reading today, but uh, at some point I need to just go through and curate and do a quick hits. I've said that last week. I'm saying it again now, but if you want to write to us, uh, we'll get to it eventually. Screw it. Spidey at gmail.com. And we also have a great uh, Instagram right account, your- Screw It Spidey on Instagram. We have a Twitter, Screw It Spidey on Twitter, which you can uh, respond to us and send us your thoughts. Yeah. And uh, you can talk about anything. You can talk about the issues we've talked about, talk about ones you're excited about coming up, Spider-Man in general. Yeah. Uh, it's all fair game. Yeah. Um, all things Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, uh, someone sent us a funny meme picture, which I posted on Twitter very recently. Um, sort of a, because we talk about segments so much in our love of segments. Yes. Uh, it's a meme yeah. of us taking uh, segments like heroin. Um, I think it's totally fair and it, it's appropriate to invoke the gravity of the opioid, opioid epidemic and compared to our need for segments. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. We don't like segments. We need them. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's all we got today. So please email us, uh, follow us on Instagram or Twitter. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, have a good life. As well, yeah, enjoy your time with the human beings in your in your life. Take care of um, your Aunt May. Take care of your Aunt May. Have gratitude for the for the loved ones around you, and and um, and then come back and listen to us next week. Uh, there's a chance that by the next time we record, I'll have seen Infinity War too. Ooh, exciting! So I'll spoil that completely in the next episode. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next episode. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just gonna talk about Spider-Man. Campfire. <laughs>